Today's um, text from which our pastor will be preaching is James 2, 14 through 26. It's in your bulletin, but I'll read it. Follow along with me. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God the true, everlasting, inerrant Word of God. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Appreciate the prayer, Phil, this morning. Um, when you see uh, images like you see on TV um, of people being martyred and it being filmed, it really helps to get a context for your faith and to be prayerful, especially for those who are ministering the gospel in, in various ways, who are closer and closer to danger as a result of what's going on over there. So we want to continue to be prayerful um, as you look in your uh, look online or look in your bulletin at who we are praying for and uh, backing and uh, sending who are over there right now, um, please continue to be prayerful. I want to thank the women's ministry um, for this um, uh, just presentation of God's grace and love. Um, We've got a lot to talk about as a church as far as discussions on race, class, gender, equality. These are issues people don't want to talk about. You get real squeamish 
when you enter these discussions because you are so afraid, I know I am, that you're going to be wrong or that you're going to overdo it or you're going to underdo it or you're going to miss the gospel in some way. It takes courage to trust that the gospel can answer these many questions and deal with these many confusion, confusing things that we have come up in our hearts and our minds. I am often confused when issues of race and gender and ethnicity and class come up. My own personal stuff gets in the way. So I think what has happened today is just another way God calls us to continue to have this discussion, to continue to struggle as a church in these issues. And I praise God that is happening here today. I don't want you to forget. Um, it is definitely uh, one of the serious vision items of this church that we have eclectic community. Now, if we have that as our vision item, it means we gonna have a lot of questions, a lot of stuff opening, a lot of grand celebration like we're having today with these hats. So we're going to trust God and what he's doing. And I praise God that our women led the way on this. And um, we praise you, uh, God, and we thank you, women, um, for helping us to think through these things, to consider the history and stories of oppression. And if you think that it was because of some secular form of civil rights that things change, you are mistaken. It was the gospel at work in the church that changed things. Speaking of work, we continue in our sermon series in the book of James. In this second chapter, we come to ground zero of all the theological and pragmatic debates surrounding the book of James. His declaration and explanation that faith without works is dead. James was apparently dealing with some pretty pious people in the church who were going around teaching that works were not that important to your faith. As long as you believed in Jesus and were theologically correct. And James was like, that brand of or presentation of what you call faith is dead and deadly to the church, its people, its mission, and your relationship with God. And so like them, we too must recognize that faith alone works. That faith alone lives. And that faith alone loves. Works, lives, and loves. First, faith alone works because it is 
a reflection of its God who worked to save us. James affirms something um, that clearly uh, has to do with salvation by faith alone. And he is affirming that it was an act of God to save us, to justify us through Christ. If we look back at last week's text on God choosing the poor and thus choosing us all. You don't have this in your reading today, so I'm going to read it. In verse 5, it says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And when, we, when he uses examples of, of Abraham in verse 23, the patriarch of Judaism, we are forced to, to affirm that the Bible teaches that, that Abraham was justified, that saved by faith, by God's promise to him, and believed that God reached out to him and was merciful and forgiving and would bring salvation to him and the Jews that would come from him. And then James mentions Rahab, the prostitute, in verse 25. And by mentioning that, yeah, right, she was paid for sex, which is a sin, of course. And then that she was a non-Jew, he is saying, now you know there had to be some faith apart from works there, right? Because God doesn't save people according to those kind of works. He had to save her Definitely by faith, just in case you were wondering. And these examples given by James tell us that, that in the story of these people, it was God who worked for and worked belief and faith into what would and should have been faithless, non-God believing and can't trust him people. This is what we call an argument by reductio ad absurdum, right? Because James is saying it is absurd, right? That God has done a miracle work in saving you and everybody who ever knows him and choosing to save you when you and I could not do anything to save ourselves and that miracle work not work and work in and out of us. Look at what it says in verse 23 when he talks about Abraham here. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Now back to 22 is what I really meant to read. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. The faith of God, the faith of and in God alone to save what? It should work and be working, right? It is evident that it's by faith you have been saved and that salvation you received is evident in the works that we do that show God is working on and in us. Again, I like how James says it in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He is saying that even the demons 
react rightly to their internal, right? Accepted and unhappily received and believed, but absolutely correct theological knowledge that God is going to crush and eternally punish them. But if we who claim to be saved from eternal punishment by God don't even shudder in that faith with good works for God, then our faith in God is not much more effective than demonic faith, even less. He is saying, shouldn't the lives of believers shudder? Shouldn't they be moved? Shouldn't they animate? Shouldn't they show some right and proper response, if not just the knowledge of who and how God is, but that God is really and truly according to what happened in our faith, alone through Christ's, through Jesus' salvation, moving and living in our hearts and minds? Shouldn't Christians with the living faith of God in them make a noise? Shouldn't they vibrate with action and move like the hand of our divine Jim Henson, if you will, on us? Or our heavenly Dizzy Gillespie in blowing his spirit through us? Shouldn't the faith alone, theologically correct, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, apart from our works, resurrection power to take you and me from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of his marvelous, marvelous love and light, make you throw your hands in the air and wave them like you really do care, right? But not just in the air and waving, but towards others moving to care for them. Let me tell you, only the faith of God alone could take a person like you and me and make us and change our desire and heart to be the kind of person who wants to actively live for and live out good and true and loving behavior in the world and in the lives of others. That shows me and tells me and others faith by Christ alone is true and at work in our lives. You know, we Presbyterians have been referred to jokingly as the frozen chosen. We began talking about this at midweek Bible study and hope you guys come out again this week. And uh, we will continue to explore what it means that Christ Central Church is a Presbyterian church the way it is a Presbyterian church, right? This, this Wednesday at midweek. But I think... That can sort of be accurate in the description. Now get this. I am not talking about the worship. All right? People are oh, frozen chosen because they don't move around and worship. We do, right? But it can be accurate because, again, I'm not talking about worship, but about how heady we can be. You know, how theologically and systematically correct we need to be in order to truly be acceptable to God, right? And, 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 and what they say is what, that you become so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good, but I don't even like that because if you are heavenly minded, James is saying you will be earthly good. He is saying this in verse 20. Look with me. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
So it is best to say we are frozen, that we become unalive, that we become unanimate in how we live and worship God because we have become more about knowing the faith than working the faith. And isn't that how faith alone from Christ really and should show up and be alive in our world? That faith alone not only works, it lives for the lives of others so others can have life. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying that kind of pious, all mouth, non-response to the lives of others is not faithful living. And is no and not any good by itself. Get this. It is true. And a nice faithful saying to say to somebody, right? Go in peace. Be warm and filled. That is really nice by itself. It is not faithful and is really saying, I don't want to give my life or time or resources away to you, which is not faithful living for others. This is a nice way of saying, go away and I won't feel guilty about it. I'm going to continue to feel good about God, even though I'm leaving you in the street. This is a hard one. But just in case you think it's just James, let's see what Jesus says about it. You know, it's funny. Um, when I was in seminary, uh, one of our professors in, would say, our New Testament professor would say, you know what? Christians love Paul. They don't like Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is hardcore. You think James is bad? His, his older brother is worse. Right? His older divine brother was worse. Let me see what Jesus says about leaving people out on the streets. Okay. Matthew 25, 36 through 43 says this. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous, hear him now, the righteous, those justified by faith alone, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Let me beef it up a little bit and tell you that Jesus' least is synonymous with James' widows and orphans we read and learned about in chapter 1 and the person we're reading about right here in chapter, in verse 15, right? So, so the disenfranchised and those in need of mercy and social justice are the people Jesus is talking about. But Jesus doesn't stop here. He goes on. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
Why? For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Let me tell you, as a pastor in a reformed, heady faith that gets involved in the fine points of reformed theology, I like to stay away from these verses. I like the ivory tower. I like just sitting around, talking to y'all, and hanging out, and, and being theologically correct, and having all the emotional discussions, and crying, and pouting about our lives. I like it. But your Lord just said some really serious things about what faithful people and faithful lives living looks like. People who've accepted him by faith alone. He is describing what reformed, you know, theologically correct people's lives should look like. I would have to... How could I put it any clearer than that, right? I really can't but to say that living faith has social. Here's the hard part for us. That's outside of yourself and outside of your church and outside of your self-focused group and personal community consequences and results. James says, show me. This is the show me faith. I would have to say that if your, your Christianity is just about being holy, personal holiness and getting and understanding the systematics and dogmatism of orthodox Christianity, then James is saying, guess what? You can't do bad all by yourself. You're doing badly if it is all by and for yourself or yours. It must affect and inspire or bring change to the lives of others, and in particular those in need whom God has brought and sent to you. Look at what James goes on to challenge further in this area of living faith in verse 16 again. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. And what good is that? Which is a great follow-up, right? To all the be blessed, peace, pious statements given to the person who comes to the door. James is correcting those. Nope, nope, wrong, wrong, wrong verse. Let's, verse 18, verse 18. So we've heard the thing about Jesus saying what James says about the person at the door. And then verse 18 says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay. Again, this is a great follow-up to all of the be blessed, peace, pious statements given to the poor person who comes to the door. James is correcting those who believe. Now get this because we like to hide here too. Right? I know I do. Who believe they have the gift of faith. The gift of theology. And then the gift of teaching, right? We have the gift of teaching. I have the gift of this. I have the gift of counseling. 
right? Or letting people know about God and all of that stuff. But I don't have the gift of mercy works. That some have the mercy and works gift and others don't. You know, I'm not the kind of person who's all into the mercy ministry thing. I'm just kind of the other kind. You know, I live on that side of town, and I fund the people who do the works of faith. That's my gift. Paul is saying you can't divide it like that. He's saying if you have the gift of faith given to you by Jesus for salvation, then you automatically are called to give a gift of works to those who need it around you. You can't have it. There is no such thing as a Christian who isn't merciful. There is no such thing. uh, There's no brand of Christianity according to the scriptures and according to what you saw Jesus do that walks around being all personally focused, all inside and all, you know, theologically wrapped up and asking all these deep questions and all, why me and why this? There's, it doesn't do anything for people who need it. There's no Christianity like that in all of Scripture. Even the king is held responsible for how the poor live in his city. That living life for others and mercy are a mark of a believer, of the faith, not an auxiliary, nice to have it, take it or leave it accessory. Look at verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. James in large part is saying that what people experience through the works of faith is living faith. So when we are giving clothing or food or provision or resource or a listening ear or our time and talents to help somebody, we are giving more than a thing or stuff. We are in the work helping them to experience the kingdom of God alive and at work to them and hopefully in them. Hear what I'm saying. James by saying that the person who tells someone who comes to the door, obviously hungry and poorly clothed, right? God has brought them to their door, right? Right? To, to, to be at peace and be warm basically means, you know, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the peace of God bless you. Does no good because the blessing they're seeking in the words they're giving is void to do what it should spiritually without the work to go with it. The person does not and cannot most likely get the blessing and living faith of God fully communicated to them if they are left hungry and unclothed when you have the ability to do so. The work, the merciful act, actually works to have them blessed by God on the inside too. Sorry, Mary Poppins, but a spoonful of mercy and faithful act helps and gets the spiritual medicine down in the most faithful way, right? That's to help you remember. We have a faith that works. 
so that others can live and experience the life of God and how they are treated along with what is said and believed. He gives this example of Abraham. And I got to tell these stories quickly for those who don't know. So Abraham is promised he'll be the father of many nations and that, and that and, and of a great nation, the Jews, and, and that God's going to bless him and salvation to the world is going to come through him, which is the lineage. He starts the lineage of Christ and all that. And God saves him and he receives it. And by faith and he's justified and, and, and declared righteous by God to be God's person. And Abraham is old. He can't have children and they've been wanting to have children. And finally, after years, they have a child and the child is Isaac. Well, when Isaac gets a little older, God says, take your son to the mountain, take a knife and sacrifice him on the altar. Thank you. Abraham does it, not kill him, obeys God, takes his son up to the place. Son's like, where's the lamb, dad? Dad looks at him. Don't worry about that, son. <laughs> God provides a ram in the bush. He says, thank you for being obedient. Takes the ram, sacrifices it, Isaac saved. Then you have Rahab, right? Rahab is living in the city of Jericho. Joshua and the spies, has these spies go in to look at the city of Jericho. And, and, and along the wall, the, some of the homes are in the wall. A spy goes in, checks out the city. Rahab the prostitute. Of course, she has men coming in all night, so it wouldn't be so strange to see a couple of men go in. But they go in. They're hidden because they hear there's somebody's here and they want to check. And she says, oh, they, she sends them out another way. They're not here. She saves their life. They go back, make a good report to the camp. What is James telling us in these stories? He's saying if Abraham wasn't a good acting covenant father to his son Isaac and offering him sacrificially to the Lord, actually walking him up there with a knife in hand, Isaac, right, would have missed out on the blessing of God generated from his father's faithful work. That if Rahab ha actually hadn't hidden the spies, right? And it, it, the, 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 the spies would have died and lost their lives and not been able to share the faithful work and plan of God with the people. Faith is dead without works because the works of faith bring real spiritual life to others around us. That's why verse 14 is so strong. And true, look at verse 14 again. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And it asks this question, can that faith save him? You can't and weren't saved, hear me carefully now, without someone treating you in your poverty with some kind of living work. Now, I want you to think about it. Ask anyone. I want you to ask yourself, what led you and then kept and even today keeps you in the faith and keeps you faithful? Maybe some of us need to think about and remember and contemplate. 
but someone, hear me now, faithful to God and his word, acted and treated you good somewhere along the way, and that sealed your faith back to be God's. That brought and pulled some of you back with more than a spiritual hand, but a physical hand or voice or offer or gift or benefit was worked out of that person or people for you. They walked over to you and spoke. They bought you dinner. They picked up the phone and called. They let you stay with them for a while. They had lunch with you. They hugged and comforted you. They gave you a ride. They paid for your meal. They watched your kids for a couple hours. They just sat there while you talked, and they ditched their afternoon plans for you. They walked and fed your dogs. They, they held you while you cried. They looked you in the eyes. They loved on you. They made a cup of coffee or tea and had a beer on the back porch and then cauterized and comforted a broken and bleeding family. Faith and heart at a hard time. There is not one story in here. It was not just their confessional and internal and theological faith alone that brought or brings you home. It was their works of mercy and faith that made and makes you live in some way for and faithful in the glory of God today. Faith without works doesn't work. It's dead. That brings us to this. Faith alone loves. Love for and from God. I know how this thing works. Have you ever had what James talked about, knock on your door? Or rather, the door of your life in some way? Not just a person, but another commitment. Another drain of time and resources. Another thing that makes you not be able to live philosophically in your politics or economics. A get-out-of-bed or personal routine when you just got in, right? A mix-up and hold-up of your hopes and dreams. Another, got to do something to help a person or the church or my community. And for many of us, I know personally, especially if you've been in ministries where you've burned out, there is this locking up of your emotions, a paralyzing fear, a fear of failure and inability to do enough when it's all said and done, scared for your family and your kids and their success. The kids are a hard one when it comes to us, right? Doing work for the kingdom, getting busy and volunteering and calling and being and doing and giving ourselves away as we just sang. Everybody was singing and I saw y'all. Would you give your kids away too? Will you give your time away? Would you give your television viewing away? I said that, and that's totally for me. <laughs> that's what give myself away is. Y'all was singing so beautifully. When we look at the example God uses for works, justifying being right for God's faithful people, Abraham 
sacrifices his own child. Willing to anyway. Willing for the kid maybe not to get an A on the grade tomorrow. Maybe a B. Because you gave your time to somebody. Maybe your kid will not be as excellent as the next kid when they grow up. Is that worth it? Is the eternal kingdom worth it? Maybe they won't go to the best school. Who told you Christianity says we got to send our kids to the best school? Or is it the works of the kingdom? Man, I'm throwing out some hard stuff. I am having a hard time hearing myself say, so trust me. It's hard. Why would he use the example of Abraham? Because James assumes that we are chidolaters. <laughs> that the one thing we won't release when it comes to helping others is our family and our children. We won't let that excellence be harmed because like Isaac, God gave it to us. And evangelical Christianity has created one of the worst idols out of family and children to the harm of the kingdom. Why would he use that example? Because he knows. And we'll come in our world and we'll spout faithful statements about child-wearing and family. I do. And personal time and rest, I know. All that's important, but that, that ain't that sermon. Some of us will say, I'm not equipped enough, right, or holy enough. But he uses Rahab, a Gentile prostitute with no heritage and no super heritage, no super holiness to do, any, to, to do stuff for God. And she risked her life and livelihood to help the enemies of her people. How many of us would do a work of faith? for those who we consider morally dangerous to our Christian veneer. I saw you talking to that person, right? I saw you in that meeting with those people. when you knew God brought them to your door to show mercy and do a work of righteousness with them. But what we do is we run to this. Um, now, you know I'm confessional. You know I believe in truth and God's truth. I believe in the law of God. So y'all not hearing me say, hey, just go fuzzy with things. But we'll start spouting off confessional statements so we don't have to get our hands dirty. And you know, when you start throwing off stuff, well, I can't really work with those people because they're this or they're in this lifestyle or they're doing this or they're doing that. You know what we're really saying? Man, I really don't want to get wrapped up in that. I got too much to do for me. 
and then we blame God for it. Well, James says Abraham in his faithfulness was called a friend of God. And then Rahab became an ancestor of Jesus. As a friend and ancestral grandmother of God, it is safe to say that they did what they did because their faith said they loved God and would be willing to give and give away what was most important to them because God was more important than anything else in their lives at the time that they trusted God. Their actions said they loved God. But you know what else is interesting to me? That all three examples and stories of justification by faith that is confirmed by works, whether it is the poor person coming to the door in verse 15, the Abraham sacrifice and then Rahab story are all pictures of a loving God and his powerful love showing up in our lives. In last week's sermon, again, in verse 5, I wish I had printed it, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? God so loved us needy, right? That, listen how the story reverses on us. That he came dressed in shabby humanity to our shut-up lives, knocked on the door, and by coming into our selfish lives, made us the family of God. And then, like Abraham, to save and save us and to keep his promise, God to keep his promises, it called for the bloodshed of a person, of his son. But unlike Abraham, God actually did it. Christ, his only begotten son, did the work of salvation and died and rose for us and lived for us. And then like the Rahab story, Christ, like the Hebrew spies, right, came to live in the hearts and lives of the most scandalous and rejected and unexpected to save them. See, each person let the love of God into their lives, but by letting God work through their lives. The scripture from Matthew, he says, do it for the least of these, what? That you do it for me. When, Lord, when did we see you? I was the poor one you let in. I was the mercy ministry. That was me, right? In these verses by James and John, it's easy to take them in the negative. To like Jesus and James just want to correct and condemn and tell us off. But they are giving us a way to living faith and to bring our deadened faith back to life. I mean, think about what it means if we are faithful to participate in the work of God. When we do the work of God, we don't expend the love of God. We extend the love of God. And when we extend the love of God, Jesus, the love of God, manifests and shows up in the works of righteousness we bring in or go out to give or give and do. That's why verse 16 says, right, that faith apart from works is dead. It says, Faith does not actually invite, faith actually invites Jesus in. And it gives our faith life. (sighs) 
That's why he says in verse 26 that we can't keep being, says this in verse 26. Look at it together with me. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We can't keep being believers alive and in love with him without the love of God in our lives. And we won't have the love of God in our our lives without the works of God happening in and through our lives. When we bring the poor man in, we bring Jesus in. When we let the spies in like Rahab did, we let Jesus in. When we do sacrificial acts for God like Abraham did, Jesus, like a ram in a bush, God sent to take Isaac's place, shows up. You don't have to worry about when you do the works of God. Is it going to kill my family? Is it going to kill my children? Is it going to take my sense of worth away? Are my friends going to hate me and despise me? When we do the works of faith, God's love for us shows up in it. We work because God is faithful to love us because God is faithful to love us and show up in these works. Some of us have been living. Now hear this because I know this is true in large part in our church. Some of us have been living, have been living in this droning, drowning mantra and depressive, depressive state that my Christian life is so dry, Pastor Brown. I feel so empty. I can't get into worship or feel God or see God at work in my life. Though this is not a quick fix for dry spiritual lives, I must say that some of our lives are prayerless and faithless feeling because James tells us that faith without works is dead. Do you get it? God is manifest in ways in our work for his glory that he isn't. When we are just sitting around self-loving and loathing and lingering in self-consumed, self-centered, and self-pitying faithlessness. God is in the works of righteousness. And so is the life and love you need and long for. I know some of us have some serious heartaches, burnout stories, and spiritual abuse nightmares that have poisoned and injured your ability to be dutiful where you should. But the faith and love of God come alive and give new and necessary life and real spiritual change and love to what should tire and kill and embitter us. Where is the life of the church? Not only, not alone, can't just be by itself in how theologically right we are and how well and orthodox we do worship and how we sit around and contemplate what's going on deep inside of us. But when there's love of neighbor and God, I'll share this. 
few months ago. Some of you know. This is not about her, so I hope she's not embarrassed. I don't know if she's here. My sister-in-law and her three kids came to live with us. Wanted a change. Didn't come full, pockets full with cash. I know exactly how everything was going to work out. When I saw them, my own sister-in-law, coming into our 2,700 square foot house, I locked down. And emotionally, I locked out. They could come on Sunday and hear me preach all pious, all about love and God and Jesus. But I was a son of a gun <laughs> at home. I'm going to tell you, it was not me who changed me. Let me tell you, when I took a risk to step in a bit and be free to give what they needed, a miracle happened. A miracle. Not to them, but to me. God gave me life and love. My faith was dead in so many ways. And in that work, new life, new love, I'm the faith alone reform pastor without that work. I've never known what a faithful God was all about. He showed up there. That's where life is. I've always, always, always hated Valentine's Day. the way it makes you feel. Because you're going to mess up. You're not going to get enough. You can get the wrong thing. And it's not because of them. It's because of me. Last minute selfish me. Just be happy. It was the last one they had. I know it says I love you grandma. But just be happy. <laughs> I scratched it out. Man, you should have seen me in Target. In the Valentine's section. Getting Valentine's for my sister-in-law. 
my four-year-old niece and my 14-year-old niece. I was happy. There was joy in Valentine's Day. I, was, I went more than Target. I went to the mall. Looking for special things. Bringing little bags. I put the tissue in the thing. Look at the <laughs> what happened to me? <clears throat> His love broke through. And it not only brought me life, it gave them life and freedom and joy and a place that was hard for them to be. People of God, we have a working class faith, right? Yes, faith alone at work and in our life. It produces a love and joy in Jesus' presence unlike anything you could have ever experienced. Faith without works is dead. But faithful work of Jesus Christ at work in us is alive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you For your love. For your works for us. Help us. Because I know what Satan comes to do. He comes to lie to us. And to steal what your word may have just said to us. Lord, I pray right now because this is a very strong but at the same time, as it enters our hearts and lives, very fragile message. It can easily break into the pieces and shards of condemnation. It can be used to cut and imprison and manipulate people. Lord, I pray that you would hold your people together as they recognize they truly are justified by faith alone, that they are saved purely out of love from God. But Lord, I ask that you would help them to experience the strength and power of that faith, that their salvation not only produces the ability to believe, Lord, but beautiful, glorifying, though hard, works of righteousness. Lord, I pray for your people right now because somebody's going to take a risk and love and it's going to be hard. And they'll get weary and they'll get tired and they'll start to believe, Lord, that you have not told the truth. Some people right now are in the middle of it. They're wrapped up in a situation and helping and feeding and, and reaching out to somebody and extending your love 
It's hard. Let the love and life of faith be theirs. There are those here, Lord, that are feeling dead. And they're desperate for life. I pray, Lord, that you would work to give them avenues and relationships in which not only, Lord, they can work righteousness, Lord, but that people around them can work righteous acts for them to reach them, to love them. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us, not only as a church and individuals, Lord, but as a church, an evangelical church, a denomination, Lord, all the churches in the city that tend to hoard their time and their resources and their knowledge and their abilities, their families, their kids, their homes, their cars, all that stuff. Have mercy on us, Lord, for having such a great salvation and neglecting it. We need your grace and love right now to comfort us and forgive us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.